Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Well, this particular weekend and the Torah portion for this weekend is one of my favorites, not because of the great body of laws and instructions that are included there, but because of one word that is in the Torah portion this week and an important concept, sort of an obscure concept that describes how God works. The concept is expressed through a form of the Hebrew word hafach, but my favorite form of the word is hafuch. Can you say that with me? Hafuch. And I was first exposed to that word when we were in Israel almost 40 years ago, and we were trying to order a cappuccino. And at the time, the Israelis didn't use the word cappuccino. They used another word, or another phrase, cafe hafuch, upside down coffee. And it had something to do with how it was prepared, you know, that the milk, the foamed milk went into the cup first and then they poured the coffee into it and so it was upside down, I don't know. Or that the, the milk rose to the top and the coffee was on the bottom rather than the top. Well, in any case, if you wanted cappuccino, you had to learn this word, hafuch. Say that with me, hafuch. Hafuch means upside down, it means inverted or flipped. And uh, I, I love that word. And in this week's Torah portion, the word is used in a, in a different form, but with the exact same meaning. And it is so interesting. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 23. And, and let me just see, how many of you have paper Bibles? You have, you're, you're old school, good for you, I love paper Bibles. And how many of you are digital folk? And how many of you are lost? You don't even have a bot, no, you don't have to identify yourself. It is so useful to bring your Bible with you and to have the habit of following along with us. It's also very useful to read the Torah portion, the Haftarah and the Brit Hadashah in advance of the Shabbat service so that you're coming with some fullness already. You're exposed to the material and you're thinking about it, and you're asking the Lord, what do you want to speak to my heart about? What do you want to open up to me? You know, you can read the same passage, the same chapter in the Bible 20 different times in 20 different years, and every time you read it, you have the potential of getting something new. In fact, there can be times when you read in the Bible uh, what turns out to be a very familiar chapter or book, and you see things you never saw before. How many of you have had that experience? The reason it's like that is the Word of God is active, and it's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's full of life, and it's timely as well. So when we're reading the Scriptures, God is opening them up to us and making them useful for us when we need them to be useful. And there are times when he'll hide meaning in 
uh, a passage and then open it up so that we can get the benefit of it. I remember once I was cleaning out a closet, trying to throw away clutter. How many of you are in favor of that, decluttering? It's not easy for some people, like me, uh, because I'm from Slobovia, that's my natural inclination. And uh, if I had not married a neat woman, I probably could have turned into a hoarder. <laughs> I had that in my being, I think. It's a scary thing, but I was trying to clean out a closet and I came across some what looked like useless notebooks and I decided I'm just gonna open them up. These are those three ring notebooks, you know? Open them up and just pour the contents directly into a trash can, just trying to get it over with. And I came across one notebook and I had this feeling, don't do it that way. Take out little sections and look at them first. And so I did, and I di it didn't make any sense to me because there's a lot of paper in there and most of it just went right into the trash can. In fact, all of it went into the trash can until I got near the end. And I found at the very end of these papers $100 in cash. Yeah, and they were crisp bills, I think 20s. And I thought, wow, the Holy Spirit actually wanted me to not only clean up, but he wanted to give me back the money that I'd lost. Because I didn't even realize where I'd put that. It was so long ago. I had no memory of it. But the Lord knew. And so that became alive to me. And the Bible can be like that. There can be hidden treasure in the Bible for you. And if you have the habit of reading in advance week by week as we read together, and also reading on your own day by day, you will discover things that are hidden in the scriptures for you. And it's like they're hiding in plain sight. When you get to them and you read them and the Holy Spirit says, that is for you. Even noticing that something is in the scripture sometimes is the first step. I like to read the Torah portion, the Haft Torah portion, and other books in a very simple way. I read them slowly enough that I can pay attention to what I'm reading. And I take notice of what I notice. That may sound funny to you, but when I see something and it captures my attention, I make a note about it. Ah, that got my attention. And this is one of the simple ways that you can learn how to find great value in the scriptures. Well, in reading in Deuteronomy chapter 23 in this week's Torah portion, it says, no Ammonite, this is 23, uh, verse three in the English, verse four in the Hebrew, I think. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the congregation of the Lord, nor may any of their descendants down to the 10th generation ever enter the congregation of the Lord because they did not supply food to you or water when you were on the road after leaving Egypt. That's reason number one. Reason number two is they hired Balaam, or Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam 
Rather, the Lord your God, Vayafoch, he turned the curse upside down. He overturned it. He overturned the curse and turned it into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. So when I was reading that in Hebrew, it got my attention. I actually had other things I wanted to speak about tonight. I had a whole plan for a completely different direction. And it all made sense to me. And then I was looking at the Hebrew here and I thought, wow, this is such an important word. And and, and the, um, that great word, upside down, flipped over, overturned. That word is so important. The Lord turned the curse upside down. He overturned the curse. He flipped that curse and it became a blessing. That idea is so powerful that I threw away all my other notes. Actually, I didn't throw them away. I just put them away. (laughs) I love this idea that God can overturn things and he can flip things. He can take even evil things, things that were intended to be harmful, and he can get his hands on them and turn them upside down so that good comes out of them. It's an amazing thing that God can do. God can take difficulty. He can take adversity. He can take bleak situations. He can take even calamity. And he can flip it. Hafuch. He can overturn it. He can turn it upside down, which actually makes it right side up. And he can bring good right out of that. He can take problems and turn them into blessings. He can take conflict and turn it upside down so that something good and powerful comes out of it. Not only that, God can work in ways that are absolutely unthinkable. They're unimaginable. They're impossible. He can even work in unpopular ways. He can do unpopular things to bring good out of them. I I think of the school of higher criticism that developed uh, in in Europe in the 1800s and then it developed even further all over the world, including the United States in the 1900s. And there was this idea that developed that the Bible was not really inspired, that it really wasn't trustworthy, that it was really literature of a normal kind, and that it wasn't all that accurate as well. And so some of these guys came up with this idea that the Jesus in the Bible and the Jesus of religion is not even like the real Jesus. And they came up with two different ways of describing him. The Jesus of faith and the Jesus of history. 
And they said, you know, the Jesus of faith, you know, he's this blonde, blue-eyed guy, you know, who fits in well with, with uh, white Europeans and their descendants and, and uh, at home in all the churches of the world. But the Jesus of history was actually a Jew. And he had Jewish manner and character and history. And if you read your Bible, you'll see the Jesus of faith. But in reality, the Jesus of history is who you should know. And they're in conflict with each other. And this produced a lot of unbelief in people's lives. People began to think, oh, you know what? The Bible can't be trusted because it, it doesn't even accurately present things. It's contradictory, it's this, it's that. And many people were afraid of that school of higher criticism because of this. However, because of that conflict, all these scholars and academics started paying attention about the Jesus of history. And you know what emerged from that? That, that Jesus had a name, Yeshua. And that he was born as a Jew. He lived as a Jew. He was called to the Jewish people. He kept a Jewish life. He taught in a Jewish way. And that even the Greek of the New Testament is written in a way that reflects Hebrew and Jewish thinking and turns of phrases and structure. It's not good Greek. It's, uh, it's like Jewish Greek. Through that whole process, something developed. And that was this understanding throughout the world that Jesus was Jewish. Can you believe that? I remember once when we were in Rochester, one of our congregants was invited as a Holocaust survivor. She um, was from Germany. She was invited to teach a class on the Holocaust, a series of classes actually, at a Catholic school. And so she went to the school and she started her uh, lessons with the same statement each time with this sort of uh, heavily Germanic-accented English. And she said, Jesus was a Jew. And the kids in the class had the same reaction every time. It was like, <gasps> And I remember this one particular year where she said this, and some of the kids turned to their teacher, who was a nun, and said, Sister, I, I don't know what her name, Sister, tell us the truth. <laughs> and she said, it's true. And they're like, oh. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily good news for these kids, but they were there to learn. And um, this was a way for them to learn. Sometimes people aren't happy learning the truth, but they need to still know the truth, right? Because the truth will set you free. So because of higher criticism, because people saw the conflict between the religious forms that Jesus was taking in many places versus 
the historical reality of him, that caused the development of understanding about who he really was to grow stronger and stronger, which meant his true Jewishness developed and became a matter of common understanding in these days. Now, through that process, something else happened, which is people like us began to see that there's not conflict between the Jesus of faith and the Jesus of history, that in fact, you can have your faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And then, instead of these two worlds and two different pictures being at odds with each other, they converge and they integrate. Now, there was a time when people could not imagine that anything good could come out of higher criticism. And yet, the recovery of the Jewishness of Jesus is one of the good things that came. And in fact, the, the general awareness in the modern Christian church all over the world that Jesus was a Jew and that God still has an interest in love for the Jewish people actually accelerated because of the controversies that had to be worked through, through that whole process. Now that's an example in my mind of hafuch. God brought something good out of what was meant for harm. What was meant to erode faith actually developed faith. What was meant to cause people to have less confidence in the scriptures actually worked in the opposite way and has caused us to understand that the scriptures are very reliable. Now once you get that, once you get this idea that God can flip things upside down, then the world and all of its craziness becomes less problematic to you as a believer because you know this, that God always has the upper hand. And he can always have the last word. He can always get his hands on something and he can turn it so that something good comes out of it, even if it was meant for harm. Because of this, you don't have to have a victim's mentality, even if you have been a victim of other people's evil actions. Because you know this, God can take even our wounds and use them for good. In the way that we suffer, we can show mercy and compassion to other people. How? Because God comforts us, we can then comfort others. Do you see how that works? If, if you get this, God's not against pain. He can even use pain to bring good. Then you understand something about how he can work in an upside-down way. Think about this. He... He took a barren couple who were long past the age of childbirth and the prime of life, and he used them to have a baby against nature in order to bring forth a covenant son and a covenant family and a covenant tribe. The Lord took a, a nation in slavery, and he used them to show what his might and his power could do to set them free. 
He can take a sick person or a blind person or a person with no sense of hope or future. And he can turn everything upside down, which turns everything right side up. That's the beauty of it. And he can bring glory to himself and joy to everyone who serves him. I, I think the statement, the Lord works in mysterious ways, is, is trying to like get at that. But I'm not sure it's mysterious, but it is surprising the ways that the Lord works. Because often he'll, he'll choose the weak to reveal his strength. He'll choose the foolish to reveal his wisdom. He'll choose people in difficult circumstances and situations that are really complicated in order to reveal the simplicity of his grace. He'll use the few to show his great power. The scriptures are filled with stories, Gideon's story, the story of, of just one man, Samson, or the story of another who, who did something great, the story of Elijah, who stood up against the, the prophets of Baal. He will, he will use, he will even stack the odds against us in order to reveal his mercy and his power and his authority. And when, when you realize that, when you study the scriptures and you say, wow, he does that a lot, it helps you understand the craziness in your own life, like what's going on. Because if you're just trying to get out of pain, take some anesthesia. Medicate yourself. But if you want to get through the pain, and you want to be stronger, get your heart connected to the Lord. And don't worry that it's painful because often important things are painful. Strength is built usually through painful situations. Do you remember when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers in Egypt? Yeah, surprise, boys. Yeah, he'd been speaking in Egyptian through an interpreter to them, and then he throws them out, throws the interpreters out, all the Egyptian speakers out, and he's wailing. And then he speaks in Hebrew, and he says in Hebrew, I'm Joseph, your brother. <laughs> the oxygen leaves the room. Yeah, all the brothers are... And he says... I, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. That, that one. <laughs> Gasp. You know, they couldn't even talk. And he says, come close, I want to talk to you. Gulp. I can't imagine what was happening to their pulse and their blood pressure at that moment. But he had a word for them. He said, what you meant for harm what you intended for evil, God has turned for good and brought a great deliverance, your own deliverance through this. What you did was evil, but God got a hold of it and he's turned it upside down. Your plans will not work, they didn't work. You wanted to get rid of me, guess what? 
I'm in charge. That's, he was the prime minister. Remember that dream I had? <laughs> it was a nightmare for you. You thought, you know, you ended it wrong. But Joseph had this idea, he had this understanding that even though he went through adversity, calamity, mistreatment, injustice, unkindness, he was not shown love by his brothers, but the opposite. God was working to overturn these things, the intent, in order to bring good out of it. And then God did the same thing in Joseph's heart. He overturned his heart. Do you get that? He flipped his heart so that his heart was ready to show love to those who had not loved him. To show kindness to those who had been cruel to him. To show appreciation to those who had hated him. To show mercy to those who had been unjust to him. How does someone do that? It's not because one day they wake up and say, you know, I'm a Boy Scout, I'm going to do a good deed today. It's because God got a hold of their heart. How did he get a hold of their heart? It's almost always the same way. It's through fellowship with the Lord. When you fellowship with the Lord, then his sufferings become understandable to you. You understand what he's suffering about. And then his love also becomes understandable to you and the kindnesses that he shows you in your suffering changes you it's transformative when you realize you thought you deserved good but in fact you don't you're not that good then every kindness that he shows you can be respected as an act of mercy and love from the lord it's not because you're so good but the opposite. And as long as you think you're so good, then every good thing that happens to you is what you deserve, of course. And everything bad that happens to you is terrible and shouldn't happen. But when you realize the fact that you're even alive is an act of mercy on the part of the Lord. And the fact that sometimes people are nice to you. This also is mercy. But the greatest mercy is this that instead of feeling like you should perpetuate the cycle of the love of God takes up a place in your heart and you want to spread that love to other people, even those that don't deserve it, because you realize that's what happened to you. You weren't a victim. You were shown kindness you didn't deserve. That's different. That's turning things upside down. The coming of Yeshua, God taking on human form, God cloaking himself in a human body is an act of hafuch. It's upside down. It's not what people expected. Everyone wanted a king who would be so in charge that he could throw out the Romans. And God comes down as Yeshua, and the Romans kill him. Well, that stinks. That's bad. That's wrong. What good can come of it, nothing. That's how the disciples thought. They went back to work. They went back to what they were accustomed to doing. And then Yeshua comes back out of the grave. Surprise! 
And upon reflection, the disciples said, you know, Yeshua told us that he had to suffer. He had to for these other things to take place. And we rejected it. We disagreed with him. We didn't like it. And Yeshua even had another message that was even harder. He said, I have to suffer. But then he said, you do too. <laughs> For the good that God is wanting to do, it will cost you something. For the love he wants to develop in you to show to other people, it'll come at a price. It's not going to be cheap. The suffering of Messiah, the death, the burial, the resurrection is an example of hafuch. God turned all the evil intentions and plans upside down. He flipped them. And through the resurrection, God overturned and defeated the power of sin and death. And he took death and sin so that he took on death and sin so that we could be redeemed from them both because we couldn't do it ourselves. When we have eyes to see, when we have ears to hear, then our hearts will become able to understand and then will be changed. And whatever situation you may, may be in right now, know this, God can turn it upside down in order to turn it right side up. Your situation may be upside down right now. It may need fixing. How many can relate to that? Yeah, I got something upside down here. I need it fixed. It's upside down, and when God gets his hands on it, He'll flip it, and then it'll really be upside down. But then the good will come out of it. I love the scripture that says he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the easy way of putting it. But a more amplified translation would be this. Who are called according to his highest purposes his greatest purposes. I want to close with a passage from the Haftorah portion, Isaiah 54. The prophet Isaiah talked about this paradox at work, the way that God works through upside-down means. Sing barren woman who has never had a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who have never been in labor. For the deserted wife will have more children than the woman who's living with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the space for your tent. Extend the curtains of your dwelling. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Make your tent pegs firm. For you will spread out to the right and the left. Your descendants will possess the nations and inhabit the desolated cities. Don't be afraid. You won't be ashamed. Don't be discouraged. You won't be disgraced. You see, in our imagination, we write the story differently. No barrenness, no sorrow, no fear, no being ashamed. We don't have any discouragement because everything's going hunky-dory all the time. But that's a fantasy. That's not the world of reality that God has put us in. And he wants us to be rooted in reality. It's tough, but God is with you. 
It's tough. And he takes the worst of your situations and he gets his hands on them and he says, ah, watch what I can do with this. And you may be thinking, nah. If you were really the Lord, this would never have happened. Do you remember the mockery of Yeshua on the cross? Oh yeah, save yourself. I don't think so. Oh, you're the king, right. We'll strip you naked. The mockery. It was a mocking of him. And he knew he had to go through. And he went through it. And when he rose from the dead, it was sort of like, okay, who wants to mock now? Actually, he didn't come back for the mockers. He came back for the ones who were troubled, who had been hoping it would go differently. And he showed his faithfulness to them. And he worked things out for them. And those people were so changed when he was raised from the dead and returned that they lived for him even after he returned to heaven. And because of their faithfulness, through all that adversity and difficulty, we're here today in that long line of people who have stayed faithful in challenging circumstances. My hope is that we'll have a change of heart so that God can turn our impossible situations into sources of blessing. And so that his love can actually grow up in us and our eyes can see and perceive accurately what's going on. And our ears can hear and we can hear accurately enough to really move forward with the Lord. And we can understand with our hearts instead of being torn like, ah, how can this be? We're saying to ourselves, you know what? God is on the throne. God is in control. I'm going through difficulty, but there's freedom on the other side. I'm going through hardship, but that's not the end of the matter. That's just the way through the situation. When you get that in you, then hafuch becomes your friend. Upside down becomes right side up. And instead of being crazy with the craziness, you become crazy with your faithful trust in God. That's what I hope takes root in you and in me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your hands are upon us, that our lives are hidden with you. I thank you, Lord, that you know the beginning and the end. I thank you that you overturn things, that you turn things even that are going in harmful ways and you turn them around for good. And let it be that we're not filled with fear and we're not filled with, with disappointment because we have courage to continue with you. Let your love grow strong in us. Let our hearts be strong and let it be, Lord, that um, we continue faithfully with you 
so that we can be useful to you and to other people in the times of their difficulty. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Hey, Rabbi. And if you're by yourself, I encourage you, get up and move. <laughs> it's that simple. So that you're not alone. You can be with someone, even if they're a stranger. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.